This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We expect to have some fun on today's show. As promised on last week's program, we expect to speak with our old pal Sean Minton today. I think Sean holds the record for the most appearances on Radio Parallax, a record which he will probably extend by today's visit. It's always fun speaking with him, and we will do that in our second segment today, and who knows, maybe even a bit of our third. We shall see. But let us begin today's show as we like to do with... On this date in history, the date in question is July 12th. It was on July 12th in 1690 at the Battle of the Boyne, where Protestant forces led by King William III defeated the Roman Catholic army of James II. This victory is what led to Protestant domination in Northern Ireland, which is still the source of some friction on the island. And it was on July 12th in 1843 in the United States of America that the leader of the Mormon Church, Joseph Smith, sanctioned the practice of polygamy. As a result, he said of divine revelation. Could be, I guess. Who are we to say? It was on July 12th in 1862 that President Abraham Lincoln signed into law a measure calling for the awarding of the U.S. Army Medal of Honor. That medal, along with things like the Congressional Medal of Honor, are now okay to lie about, thanks to our current U.S. Supreme Court. That is to say, the U.S. Supreme Court recently struck down a law that had made it a crime to lie about winning medals in the service. So I guess I'm free to announce, for the first time on this program, that I did once win the Congressional Medal of Honor. Modesty prevents me from reading from the citation, which was awarded for valor, in the mess hall. I'm of course lying, but I guess that's not illegal. On July 12th in 1906, French artillery officer Alfred Dreyfus was finally pardoned and restored to his rank and regiment. He had been falsely accused of treason in a famous trial, often called the Dreyfus Affair, that smacked of anti-Semitism rather than actual guilt. On this date in 1943, at the Battle of Kursk during World War II, Well, it was probably the greatest clash of armor in military history. 900 Russian and 900 German tanks fought as the German offensive was stopped in a devastating battle, which in fact marked the turning point on the Eastern Front, a turning point in the Russians' favor. When it was all over, more than 300 German tanks and even more Russian tanks were strewn about the battlefield. Boy, quite a bit of stuff happened on this date. Uh, On July 12th, 1957, the U.S. Surgeon General Leroy Burney reported a direct link between smoking and lung cancer. I don't know, Mr. Millen, have the tobacco companies admitted to that uh, that connection yet? Uh, Maybe not definitively. Yeah, you don't want to rush into these things. Three years later, July 12th, 1960, the first Etch-A-Sketch went on sale. More than 50 million units would be sold during the next 25 years. And finally, on July 12th, 1960, Echo 1 was launched by the United States. It was the first passive satellite that was used to bounce radio and TV signals around the world. It was, in fact, just a big giant balloon, and they would bounce the signals right off the surface. I believe it was something like 100 feet across, 
and I remember seeing it in the night sky. Of course, that was back uh, when you could see the night sky uh, from a vantage point in the Bay Area. Our quote today comes from Jean Giraudoux, who said, One of the privileges of the great is to witness catastrophes from a terrace. And our quote today comes from Ronald Reagan, who once said, Politics is supposed to be the second oldest profession. I have come to realize that it bears a very close resemblance to the first. And the first, as the old saying goes, of course, is prostitution. We have to give it to the gipper on that one. Our joke of the day is as follows. A farmer goes in half with a friend to buy a bull so he can increase his stock. A couple of weeks later, the friend comes by to see how his investment's doing. The farmer complains the bull just eats grass and won't look at the cows. His friend then suggests that a veterinarian have a look at the bull. The following week, the friend returns to see if the vet has helped. The farmer looks delighted. That bull is taking care of all my cows, broke through the fence, and even serviced some of my neighbor's cows. Wow, says his friend. What did the vet do for that bull? Well, says the farmer, he gave him some pills. What kind of pills, asked his friend. I don't know, said the farmer, but they sort of taste like peppermint. Speaking of pills, our stat of the day is as follows. A growing number of high-performing high school students are illegally using stimulant medication prescribed for attention deficit disorder in hopes of enhancing their tests and grades. Some doctors say that up to 40% of students at competitive schools are abusing these drugs, according to the New York Times. All right, I think we'll take a whack at the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for moving to Sweden after a new report indicated that the average Swedish work week hit a historic high. Yes, 26.2 hours. Unions are complaining that the added work, quote, can affect people's health, unquote. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for preventing voter fraud after the Miami Herald reported that Florida Governor Rick Scott, who is, by the way, trying to purge ineligible voters, quote, unquote, from the state's rolls, had trouble voting back in 2006 because voter records showed that he was dead. Said Scott, they let me vote provisionally. I'm sure it counted. Although I don't know, this leads me to believe that Governor Rick Scott is a Republican. That's just based on my recollection of Bush versus Gore. It was, on the other hand, an ugly week a few weeks back for romantic gestures after an Indiana man hired a hot air balloon to propose to his girlfriend. She did accept, but the balloon then collided with power lines. <laughs> this evidently delivered a shock, which knocked out the pilot, who then toppled over onto the fiancé. The pilot and bride-to-be were hospitalized with what were described as non-life-threatening injuries, and yes, as far as we know, the wedding is still on. All right, we can't resist a couple items from the Only in America file, courtesy of The Week magazine. First... A man hitchhiking across the country to write a memoir to be called The Kindness of America was shot by a motorist. 
Raymond Dolan, age 39, of West Virginia, was thumbing for a ride in Montana when pickup truck driver Charles Dennison allegedly fired a bullet into his arm. A local sheriff said the shooting was totally random and without evident motive. So we assume that the kindness of America is still on. After all, this was only a random shooting. And how about this one? Virginia lawmakers had to omit any references to climate change and sea level rise in funding a study of the growing flooding problem in that state. Scientists say sea levels along the state's coast have risen more than a foot and are still rising. Republicans conceded that flooding is a growing problem, but said there could be no mention of sea level rise because it's a, quote, left-wing term, unquote. What's horrifying to this correspondent is how many people are buying into that line of reasoning, if you want to call it reasoning. It's really the big lie. If you keep repeating this stuff over and over again, people start to believe it. And here's a headline we, we just have to like from the New York Times, which is, Romney tries to win over black voters from Obama. Romney then followed up with a visit to an NAACP convention where he was booed. Which allows us to segue into the current Borowitz report, which includes an explanation from Mitt Romney. Dateline New York. Republican presidential nominee Mitt Romney today released this letter to the American people. Dear American person, as many of you know, in recent days my opponent has spread the rumor that one, I have refused to make my tax returns public, and two, I have hidden my money in bank accounts in Switzerland and the Cayman Islands. These two rumors, while true, had made me look very bad. So I thought I would take this opportunity to explain my finances in terms that even a poor person can understand. Let's say you meet the love of your life and you wrote her a series of passionate love letters. In these letters, you told her how you intended to protect her, cherish her, and always keep her safe. And then let's say someone went and told you that you had to make those love letters available for all the world to see. If you're even half the man I am, you'd say, heck no. Well, in my case, the love of my life is money. If you don't believe me, ask Anne. And my tax returns are like my love letters to my money, detailing the lengths to which I'll go to keep my precious money from being taken away from me. So if you think I should make those love letters public, and I'm sorry, my friend, but you don't believe in love. If refusing to release my tax returns and having foreign bank accounts is wrong, I don't want to be right. I did it all for love, and as your president, I promise I will never ever come between you and the thing you love. Unless you're gay. Sincerely, Mitt Romney. Now, we haven't done a cartoon in a while. We frequently quoted from things found in The Humor Times and Tom Tomorrow, This Modern World. Doonesbury is one of our favorites. But there's a new, uh, new candidate here for some uh, cartoon greatness. Matt Bohr's Universal Euclid. First panel. A new report shows Mitt Romney has millions in offshore holdings in Bermuda, the Cayman Islands, and a secret volcano lair with his face carved in it. Second panel. The campaign insists nothing improper is afoot, Romney. I've met all disclosure requirements, and it is not illegal to have a volcano lair. Third panel. Critics say using an army of henchmen to guard your gold is a sign of having something to hide. Romney. Henchman is a media term. 
guy in the back of the room. We're strategic villainy partners. Final panel. I'll release my volcano lair records when the time is right. Typically, it's in the third act when the grand scheme is unveiled. Ha 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 ha. This boy's got some potential. And speaking of comedy and San Francisco, we were somewhat startled to note that uh, headlining down at the Punchline in San Francisco this week will be Sacramento's own Keith Lowell Jensen. They apparently will be putting together a live CD recording. And speaking of more comedy in San Francisco, uh, we have a Chronicle classic I think we should report on. Uh, Every so often, the Chron likes to reprint an old Herb Cain column, and we sort of have to look back on on Mr. San Francisco with some nostalgia in the wake of uh, the following. column was titled Bleeding Heart Liberal and opened up with People and Things to Feel Sorry For, such as tourists whose cars get towed away on their very first afternoon in town and bald hippies and young men who actually try to live by the playboy philosophy and reporters who ask straight questions of diplomats, politicians, and football coaches and expect to get a straight answer, and sentimentalists who miss the era of the big dance bands and really think it might come back, and dwellers in lovely old houses whose views have been wiped out by ugly new high-rises, and finally windbags who use terms like meaningful, relate to, and issue-oriented and the people who have to listen to them. And you know, like New York, I don't think San Francisco is a town I could really live in for any, any length of time, but I'm grateful for the fact that most of my life has been spent in its shadow. It's a nice shadow. I saw a patient in urgent care last week who was up visiting from San Francisco, who had to admit that although she loves the city, there were times in the summer when she started to get seasonal affective disorder from all of the fog and needed to come east up to where we live, where it's hot and sunny. Of course, this week, as the temperatures have been hovering near 110, that's just a little bit too much of a good thing. Of course, you may ask, what is exactly the right amount of a good thing? I think Tim Johnson of McClatchy Newspapers uh, addressed that issue in this article he wrote about... uh, Costa Rica, which is gauged to be a superpower on the happiness index. Apparently, a recent study shows that uh, Central America's verdant nation of Costa Rica can be regarded as having the planet's most content bunch of people. Notes Tim Johnson, its citizens generally live into old age. They're watched over by a government that spends heavily on schools and health care and strives for an economy with a small environmental footprint. Hmm. What concepts? Last month, apparently, Costa Rica beat out the U.S. and Western European nations for a second time to top a survey of 151 countries on a measure of progress and well-being, one that ignores the usual economic indicator, the gross domestic product, or the amount of goods and services produced in a country. It ranked first in a Happy Planet Index put out by the New Economics Foundation, which is a British research center that promotes global well-being, and sustainable development. Notes the article, this idea of setting aside traditional purely economic measures of development is provoking increasing global discussion from such things as a happiness initiative by the Seattle City Council to new ways to gauge growth in Europe and Asia. Taking cues from tiny countries like Costa Rica and Bhutan, a Himalayan kingdom wedged between India and China, 
Some experts are seeking to include social and environmental progress in measures of development, to which we say, it's about time! One of the great problems of economics, and, and, and there are many, I think if you took traditional economic uh, assessments of how well an economy is doing and took a look at Nauru out in the Pacific, you would no doubt say, this place is going gangbusters. In fact, it wasn't that long ago, maybe two or three decades ago, that Nauru inevitably seemed to be somewhere near the top of the world's most economic well-off places. This is because the island was a giant guano mine. And by digging up the island and selling guano to people around the world to use as fertilizer, the per capita income was sky high. But as you might imagine, this didn't turn out to be very sustainable. In fact, at this point, they mined away most of the island, which is now a denuded limestone pit with very little vegetation, um, leaving its people a bit stuck. Now, there had been a plan a generation ago to take all of this huge amount of money they were making and invest it. In fact, go buy themselves another island that they could live on. But alas, politicians are the same everywhere. And those politicians in charge of running Nauru ran off to London, took the money with them, and Instead of buying a new island, apparently got involved in some sort of pyramid scheme. So now it appears that the money's gone, the guano's gone, and most of the island is gone. So we do think it makes a great deal of sense to assess something besides just the pure dollars and cents equation to decide how well off we may be. We're encouraged to note that the article points out that the United Nations hosted a conference last April titled Happiness and Well-Being defining a new economic paradigm. They quoted UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon, saying at the forum's opening, gross national product has long been the yardstick by which economies and politicians have been measured, yet it fails to take into account the social and environmental costs of so-called progress. And evidently Europe is taking note too. In Great Britain, the government is experimenting with measuring national well-being, while the European Commission has a project called GDP and Beyond. Chris, I've got to pull out of this article. Just, just reading this makes me, makes, makes me want to go back to Costa Rica. But I can't right now. I've got too many things going on. I've got to earn some money. Yes, that's what'll make me happy. Money. And speaking of money, we want to refer you to the excellent, the continuing excellent series of articles which appear in, of all places, Rolling Stone by Matt Taibbi. We have not gotten around to discussing the May 24th issues article on the slow, painful death of Dodd-Frank, but um, we don't have time right now either. We'll try and return to it in our third segment today or maybe on next week's show. We need to take a break, so let's do that. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Stay tuned for our good pal Sean Mitten. That should be fun as always. (laughs) 